<clears throat> Thank you very much. Get myself hooked up here. You get old, you forget which way things are supposed to go. I think it goes this way. Nope, that's not right. The clip on here is backwards. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's facing the right way. Okay, can you hear me now? <laughs> good. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I am the one and only Pastor Fred, infamous Pastor Fred, unfamous. Is that the right word? I don't know. Um, I'm so glad to see everybody here this morning. I don't get a chance to preach too much anymore. Um, in the last uh, five or six years, I've been pretty busy writing. Um, as you can see by the PowerPoints that we've put up, the, I think I have 14 or 15 books on Amazon now. So uh, if you want to know more about me, just go to RevFred.com. That's all you need to know. And you can uh, order books, you can read my blog, um, all kinds of good things on there. And so uh, this morning, uh, I thought I would bring a series of messages, since I'm going to be here for uh, four Sundays, on the promised gift. And uh, it's a little bit different way of looking at Pentecost. There were two great and wonderful experiences, events, whatever you want to call them, uh, in, the, in the life of the church. The first great one, of course, was when Jesus began his ministry, taught his disciples, went to the cross, and gave himself for you and I. That was the first great event which we celebrate on Easter. Every year at Easter time, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ for our lives, for eternal life. The second great event in the life of the church followed right after that. It was called Pentecost. 50 days uh, 50 weeks, I should say. Is it 50 weeks? No, 50 days later. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, about the promised gift. Um, how many people read the series, uh, the Left Behind series? Quite a few. Good. Um, as they were being published, millions of people read the Left Behind series, and uh, the publishers had a smash hit and, and uh, almost guaranteed its continuance by leaving uh, the story at a crossroads, one book after the other. There was always something that led to the next book and wanted, you couldn't wait to get the next book in the series. 
12 volumes, uh, plus a, a pre-sequel that was published between 1995 and 2005. People were continually talking about the Left Behind series and, and couldn't wait until the next book came out. Uh, but maybe you're not a reader. Um, maybe you're a movie watcher, like me. I'm, I'm more of a visual learner. And so I like to watch movies, and, and there was a series that came out called The Lord of the Rings, and it also was a big hit. And uh, a sequel, and another sequel, and so on, on the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, of course, if, you're, if you go way back to where Star Wars started, <laughs> uh, we all know where that went. Um, the point is that hit after hit, movie after movie, book after book, anticipation was always built before the next installment came out. Um, one of my favorite recent TV programs, maybe it's not so recent now, but it was at the time, was called 24. Anybody heard of 24? Yeah. What a great TV series. Um, it was another one of those. Uh, it just had you sitting on the edge of your seat kind of thing. And then it would come to an end and it's like, oh, can't wait till next Monday night, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was really, really a, a well done series. Uh, every Monday night the show started with, and you'll all remember this if you watch the series, previously on 24. And then it would show a clip of a trailer or whatever of the previous week or weeks leading up to that Monday night's great show. In the Bible, you could say that the book of Acts becomes a sequel to the gospel. The Gospels, of course, is the story of Jesus and his ministry and his training of his disciples and everything that he began to do up until the time that he was taken. And uh, the book of Acts kind of starts with previously in the story of Jesus. And then, up until about verse 12, which is where the sequel really starts. And this is what it says. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, previously, <laughs> I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So wait in the upper room for the sequel. My words, <laughs> those aren't in the Bible. But you see what I'm saying? The book of Acts becomes the sequel to the Gospels. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Wait for the sequel. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift. Well, let's go back for a minute and focus on verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. And I want to show you uh, kind of the, the premise for this teaching, uh, which is in order to carry out the, the work of God, the people, the church, must be convinced and they must be empowered. They have to be convinced and they have to be empowered. After his suffering, it says, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. They had to be convinced. They had to be convinced that he wasn't a ghost. They had to be convinced that he was who he said he was. They had to be convinced that there was something happening that was beyond the ordinary. They had to be convinced that Jesus was back. They had to be absolutely convinced. But that wasn't enough. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus said, until you receive power. They not only had to be convinced, they had to be empowered. Remember those two things, because the same thing is true today. Us, the church, we the people, still today have to be convinced and we have to be empowered before we can do anything concerning the work of God. It's so true today. They had to be convinced and empowered that only the, received the power that only the Holy Spirit could give. My friends, nothing has changed. There is no plan B. We still need those same two things today to be fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Many of us perhaps are convinced that Jesus is who he said he is, but not many of us are empowered. 
The story of Pentecost is the coming of the promised gift to the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's a sequel to the Gospels. In fact, if you think about it, God has really given us three gifts for this life. The first gift, free gift, is the free gift of salvation that comes only through His Son, Jesus. The second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we'll be looking at in this series in the next few weeks. The Holy Spirit to convict us of of guilt in regard of sin and to guide us into all truth. The third gift comes through the Holy Spirit, which is the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Unless we are empowered with the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, being convinced isn't enough. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts and enables us and empowers us to use them. It's my opinion, just my opinion, it's just a thought, as John Maxwell would say, that there are some who have confused the gift with the gifts. They've confused the gift of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit as described in God's Word, and especially in 1 Corinthians 12, but it says in verse 11 of that chapter, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, which is the gift. The gifts of the Spirit are the work of the Spirit. Peter's reply to the question of the people at Pentecost, when they said, after he preached his great sermon, they said, what must we do? What must we do? And Peter's reply was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, he said, all who are far off and all whom the Lord will call. Those who accepted his message that day were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. Can you imagine in one day hearing one message and the church grew by 3,000 people? The first thing they had to do was put in a bigger parking lot. (laughs) I mean, that's incredible when you think about it. 3,000 people responded to Peter's message. They not only were convinced that what he said was true, but they were empowered and added to the church that day. So those who believe or are born again, receive the Holy Spirit, and there's a reason for that. Um, The reason for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit is because mankind, all of mankind, me and you and all of us in this room and all of mankind has a problem. We actually have two problems. Number one is the fact that we've sinned. 
Jesus took care of that problem. I'm convinced of that. The second problem is that we're sinners. Guess what? God sent the Holy Spirit to take care of that. Jesus took care of the fact that we sinned. The Holy Spirit was sent to take care of the fact that we are sinners. Although it may sound like one problem, it really is two. Too often we want to deal with the first problem. We come to the cross and we deal with the first problem, the fact that I'm a sinner, or that I've sinned, and Jesus takes care of that. But we kind of want to ignore the second problem, the fact that we're sinners. Let me explain this. First, we've sinned. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men, because all have sinned. Jesus took care of that. If we claim to be without sin, says John, 1 John 1.8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The good news is that we've been given a gift, and that gift is God's grace through Jesus Christ, His Son. That gift brings us forgiveness for our sin, for all who believe, it says. For all who are convinced, it says. Jesus brings forgiveness for our sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. It takes care of man's first problem, the fact that we've sinned. It's what we call, and I have called for centuries in the church, the born-again experience. The born-again experience, coming to the cross to receive forgiveness for our first problem, which is the fact that we've sinned. The second problem of a man is one that we have the most trouble with, the fact that we're sinners. When Peter stood up and gave his sermon at Pentecost, um, and the people were gathered around there from every nation, by the way, in Jerusalem, um, <clears throat> Peter stood up and, and, and preached about Jesus, and the people immediately, it says, were cut to the heart, and they said to him, what must we do? What must we do? Receive the gift. Receive the gift. And so there's many Christians, I believe, that have taken care of the first part, repent and be baptized, but they've not taken care of the second part, which is to receive the gift the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. For <clears throat> Maybe I should say that they've received the gift, for we all do. It says when you believe and receive Jesus Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift. The problem is, is that most of us haven't opened it up. It's still under the tree, so to speak. 
We accept Jesus as our, as our personal Savior, but we've never opened the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 speaks of our sinful nature. So I say to you, he says, live by the Spirit, for you, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see? Beginning to make sense? We have a sinful nature, folks. Oh, we've taken care of our sin. Jesus took care of our sin. We've come to the cross. We've come to the altar. We're born again Christians. But we have within us a sinful nature, Paul says. For the sinful nature does what is contrary to the Spirit. They're in conflict with each other, so you don't do what you want. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. One of my favorite things to preach on when I was at my little church in Woodland, I always used to talk about Paul's doodahs. You know, where Paul said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do, and oh, to do da day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Paul's doodahs, he was talking about the sinful nature. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do. And, oh, woe is me, you know. How can I take care of this? Well, even if we believed and accepted God's first gift of salvation, we still have that sinful nature. We have a tendency towards sin. It's a deeper problem in that it affects our thought, word, and deed. You could call it a character flaw, I guess. That's the result of inherited sin. And even though the outer man has been cleansed, the inner self still seeks the pleasure of sin. So to help us overcome this battle that we have with this inner nature within us, God has given us his second gift, his promised gift. Wait in Jerusalem till you, till you get the promised gift. Wait in Jerusalem till you receive the power, said Jesus. The promised gift, the gift my Father has promised. God's given us a second gift, the indwelling. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Why? Believe me, I need, I need a lot of help with my sinful nature. I think we all do, right? God said, I forgive your sin, but there's something within you that needs a little help too. And so I'm going to send my Holy Spirit as the second gift to help you with that spiritual nature to help you overcome that spiritual nature. The indwelling Holy Spirit is a provision to help us overcome, or as the Word puts it, crucify our old self. The Holy Spirit helps us with that as we grow in our journey of righteousness and Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit does this, you see, kind of put a big ribbon and a bow around this, the Holy Spirit does that by enabling and empowering the fruit and the gifts. <laughs> it all comes together. When the Holy Spirit within us, when we allow Him to begin to empower 
the fruit and the gifts in our lives, guess what happens? He begins to take care of our sinful nature. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to do this in our lives, the more we recognize His work in us. The more we're able to have victory over the second problem, the fact that we are by nature sinners. All the willpower and self-discipline in the world can't do it. It can only be done through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift. This is what sanctification is all about. It's what sanctification is all, big word, sanctification, all it means is the Holy Spirit's going to help us with some problems we have. It's the inner cleansing and changing of a saved soul. God has dealt, you see, with both of man's needs through the free gift of salvation and the sacrifice on the cross, which opened the way for us to also receive the promised gift, the Holy Spirit. The only thing you need to do with a gift is open it up. We already have it. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't, you don't have to do something special to get it. You don't have to come up here to the altar and get on our knees and weep and wail and ask God for it. We already have it. Let me say that again. We already have it. If you are a born-again believer, you already have the Holy Spirit. You just haven't allowed Him to do His work. In his book on the Holy Spirit, Billy Graham says that we are given a twofold gift from God. First is the work of Jesus, the Son of God, for us, and the second is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. One is for us, one is in us. One is our eternal gift, the other is our internal gift. The verse that keeps coming back over and over is from Philippians Chapter 2, verse 13. I hope you can see that. For it is God who works in you. Where does he work? In us. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Think about those words for a second. God works in us to change our will, to change our actions, to will and to act according to His good purpose. To will and to act. That is to seek His will and to act accordingly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Helps us to act accordingly. It's the work of the Holy Spirit giving us knowledge and understanding of God's will and the truth of His Word and giving us the power to act upon that knowledge and understanding. You see, knowledge without application is simply information. Knowledge, that's a good quote. Knowledge without application is simply information. You can go to the library and get information, can't you? 
You can go down here to the DMV and get information. You can go to any bookstore and get information. But knowledge without application is simply information. It seems as though there are many who have a lot of information about God, a lot of information about Jesus, a lot of information about the Holy Spirit, but it hasn't done anything for their will and their act. You know what I call it? I call it my wanna. Uh, my wife's name is Judy, by the way. She's not with us today. My son Jeff is here. Um, we look like twins. <laughs> I said, I don't have a beard, but <clears throat> my wife Judy and I, we were born and raised in Superior, Wisconsin. And uh, there's an area of Superior, Wisconsin called Billings Park. And in Billings Park, um, <clears throat> there is a, a street with a very funny name. And the first time I drove by this street, I, I laughed uncontrollably. The name of the street is Lackawanna. <laughs> Lackawanna. The problem that most of us have as Christians is we have a Lackawanna. <laughs> you see, uh, we can probably release the Holy Spirit's power in us and He can begin to change us and deal with our inner self and our inner problem and our inner nature, sinful nature, but we just have a lack of wanna. We don't wanna. You see, we, can, we could probably open our Bibles every day for at least 15, 20 minutes and read some truth from God's Word every single day and gain knowledge and application to our lives but we have a Lackawanna. Don't tell me you don't have time. That's an old excuse that doesn't work. We all have time. We have the same amount of time, every one of us. We just have a Lackawanna. Oh, now I'm scolding you, aren't I? <laughs> That's the problem. In my mind, being filled with the Holy Spirit has little to do with the gifts of the Spirit and everything to do with the will and the act. The gifts and the fruit will come, my friends, when we begin to release the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. We've been convinced, now we need to be empowered. And when we begin to become empowered, He begins to change our Lackawanna. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. Am I making any sense? The result of being filled with the Spirit is not a gift. You don't get a special gift just because you're filled with the Spirit. I'm sorry if there are any of my Pentecostal friends here this morning. But the result of being filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. What good is a gift if you don't have love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. If you don't have those things, the, the fruit of the Spirit in your lives, what good is a gift? The fruit of the Spirit's like an orange, by the way. Next time you are eating an orange or you see an orange in the grocery store or whatever, I want you to think of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is like the slices inside of an orange. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all wrapped up in the rind of love. All those things are inside of the orange, it's all wrapped up in love. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives. We begin to be kinder people, gentler people. We find goodness and faithfulness and peace. The biggest thing most of us lack is patience, but it's a fruit. It's part of the fruit. And it's all wrapped up in love. Paul said, without love, you're nothing. Without love, you're a clanging cymbal. It's like being on the gong show. <laughs> now I'm really going back there. <laughs> um, but Paul goes on later in the same scripture to say, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you live by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the sinful nature that's within us. It's all part of the sanctification process by the Holy Spirit. So this is what I say to you today. Live by the Holy Spirit, the promised gift given to us to help us live this Christian born-again life that we've been called to live. We've all been called to live this life. Let's accept and open the second gift. Let's go back again and to Acts chapter 1 and begin to read the sequel. Too many people are stuck in the gospel. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not preaching against the gospel, my friends. The gospel is what got us here. But there's more. There's so much more in the promised gift. We have to begin to live this life that we've been called to live and get rid of this sinful nature. We've gotten rid of our sin. Jesus took care of that. We need the Holy Spirit's help to get rid of the sinful nature, our second problem. We all have it, every one of us. If you're a born-again Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit. Turn him loose. Turn him loose, not only in your life. Turn him loose in this church. He will transform us 
in ways we've never seen before. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Um, I think the worship team is going to come up and, and uh, do another worship song for us. And as they do, think about what uh, has been talked about today and ask yourself, have I, don't worry about your neighbor, don't worry about your family, don't worry about anybody else in your life, ask yourself this question, have I submitted my life to the work of the Holy Spirit? Am I really allowing God's Holy Spirit to deal with me, to deal with my uncontrollable sinful nature? Or do I have a Lackawanna? We can deal with a Lackawanna. The Holy Spirit can deal with a Lackawanna. We just have to allow him to do so.